This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I will let my children go. Absolutely not if I felt that they weren't safe. Businesses are suffering all over the place. Surely an energy director has to look at these price rises and say, are these justified? You take the kids, we'll take the bags. The kindness in her words, do you know what I felt? The tears flow. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 Yeah, it's a dirty one out there Dirty, cold and filthy Where we are No snow across the city Or no snow As I was driving in this morning uh, Before 7 That way But it was cold and it was wet And it's still cold and wet We're hearing from around the country That there's snow here and there Um, Some in North Cork perhaps If there's any out your way And particularly if it's causing a problem Do let us know at 0818 96 96 96 on days like this when there is bad weather around you become part of the production crew so that we can let the people know where there is a problem but to be fair to the man Alan O'Reilly of Carlow Weather right again right again when he told us about the city for Thursday morning he said dirty and wet and cold but he wasn't expecting snow in the city and the other day he was also saying that much of the heavy snow would be sort of in a line across the Midlands and north of it. And he's right again, although we're hearing from Limerick that there's been uh, some bad snow there. And in Clare, I think they have closed some schools at short notice. But it's just dirty and filthy and cold and wet here in the city. As I said, if there's anything that we're missing, let us know. You can also text that information to 083 Three ninety-six, ninety-six, ninety-six. Uh, on the subject of the weather, not unrelated to it, I'll be talking later this morning to a man who's coming home to Cork after twenty-seven years in America, of which the last ten have been spent in sunny California. Why on earth would you leave sunny California to come home and lift, live in dark, wet, dreary Cork? Gary will tell us why later on, and the reason is actually. Wow. Okay. There's uh, up Bellabaland crossed by fox and hounds. Traffic lights are stuck on red up there. So be careful. So last night, it was mentioned in the news, Moraid had it there at nine o'clock. I was honoured to be invited to that civic reception 
in City Hall. They held it in the Millennium Hall because it was a big event. Sometimes, most of the time, in fact, uh, civic receptions are held in the Lord Mayor's office, the Lord Mayor's chamber. And, you know, you get invited, and it's it's a privilege of the job. You, you get invited to loads of these different things, and you go to some, and you don't go to others. Uh, last night, I wouldn't have missed for the world. That was the civic reception to mark 40 years of the Sexual Violence Centre. And it was a great evening. The High Hopes Choir performed. The Cork Garda Choir performed. Stevie G spun a few tunes. And there was just lots going on. It was a party, really, in the Millennium Hall at the back of the City Hall to mark 40 years of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. And I got a chance to sit down with the woman herself, Freeman of Cork, and she's been there since day one. She's a dear friend, and she is the great, the living legend that is Mary Crilly. And I asked her, just, the sound isn't the best on this, because it was a noisy night. It was a noisy night. But I asked her, what did she think had kept the place going since those very early days, 40 years ago? I think if it wasn't for the women initially who thought about, you know, opening up a centre, even if the initial thought was to support people in court, and that's as far as we thought. Uh, but they had the idea and the drive to kind of let us go for it. I think in an era, I remember being there in 82 when we were thinking about setting it up in an era where people didn't think we were needed. That was the reality. There was something like 35 reports to the guards in the Cork City and County area. So the reality was it wasn't being reported, so it didn't happen. But we knew from families, we knew from people on the street, we knew um, from people we met that it was happening. Um, the young girls were being raped, young boys were being abused in schools or in institutions and that hadn't come to the fore. So when you know about that injustice I think there's something inside you um, keeps you going plus my own experience I think kept me going and the amazing women who did have the courage to come in in the first few years not knowing what they were going to face. And when you did start, you had to kind of hide. You couldn't be as public as you are today. There was even, like, I'm looking through some of the archives, there's even a box number 96 in Brian Bruce Street. Do you remember where the sorting office was there on Brian Bruce Street and you'd have a box office? You daren't kind of give out your address. But when I look back, I don't know why. I think it was more us kind of making assumptions that you'd have to be private um, more than the people coming in because they were kind of quite okay about coming in. Difficult because they had to face up to maybe what, no, well, no, I don't mean face up, they'd always faced up to it, um, talk about what had happened, which would be quite difficult. 40 years on, Mary, you're, you're just still going. I'm still going. I think it's great kind of here tonight to have um, the Assistant Commissioner here, to have Chief Superintendent down from Dublin, to have the uh, nearly all the women down from TVD, all the older women here are here, and you know, the different communities, and it's brilliant we have new what here. What does it it's say that all those people came tonight it's to honour the that, that they feel part of it, that they feel supported, that they feel, for me it feels that they don't feel the centre isolates them, that the centre is part of the community, we're part of them, they don't feel that we're separate, and I think that's all I ever wanted, because as we've said before, they're the people making the changes, they're the people with their daughters, their sons at home who are having difficult times, and we're just there in the background to help them through the worst of them. In terms of the things that we now talk about, that we didn't maybe 10 years ago I'll be 10 years doing this show next February even then there were things we don't talk about now we talk much more openly now I think we talk much more about stalking about sex trafficking about spiking about sexual violence itself about the extent of it about you know who needs to be held accountable I think in general we talk more openly about sexual violence like we still need to improve the situation where young boys need to call or young men need to call out their 
friends within ordering it and stop minimising it. You know, where you see um, stats or something in the media that will say one in five boys and one in five men think it's okay to have sex without consent. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that means one in five believe it's okay to rape. There's no black and white about it. There's no grey about it. I mean, it is black and white. So even to keep challenging those assumptions. And I also know it's really hard for families if somebody comes to them and says, your son does this to me, your son raped my daughter, and the son to them will be seen as a young, quiet guy maybe who couldn't do any harm. So I can see it from both sides. Yeah, families kept secrets buried for years. In the modern world, it's harder to do that. Things will come out. Things will come out, but we still meet a lot of girls who are daddy's girls who um, really want to tell their dads or their brothers. And for two reasons, they either think they'll go out and kill them, or else they think they'll look at them differently, not in kind of a blame way, but you're not my little baby anymore, you're different. And of course they will, because, you know, the worst thing has happened to their daughter, they try to protect them, and this has happened, and they might feel guilty themselves about it, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it and keep the conversation going, because I find quite a lot of people will have no need for counselling if they have that support at home, if they're able to look into their soul and kind of say it wasn't my fault and the family are saying to them it wasn't your fault but whatever you want to do from here on in we'll back you up something I often say on the programme and I believe parents should teach their children there's nothing you can't tell me it's even more important now than it ever was I think it is because I mean people live this, this through their lives I think we have to think about the harm it does you know somebody might say to me but she was asleep she can't remember her body remembers and she can remember um, or else if she can't remember but you'd imagine the worst thing possible that could happen to her. So it is harm. It's not just unwanted sex. I think if people go out, young people go out any night of the week and want to get off with someone, off you go, as long as you like, take precautions, be careful. But this isn't what rape is about. It's about the minority of men who decide they want to have power over somebody and go out. There is hardly going on behind this, and yeah. I know you want to get back in no, there. Yeah. But after after 40 years, you keep going. You, how are you personally? How are you getting on? I know you had a health scare. How are you getting on? Well, I mean, the cancer's clear. I mean, I'm still thinking, you know, as I'll be 70 in two years, to kind of put the centre in order. I have to, because it wouldn't be fair to the centre to walk out and leave things in the condition where policies might need to be put together or procedures or all sorts of stuff. They're there, but in the back of a drawer, if you know what I mean. So I need somebody to come in and sort Would that there out. Would there ever be any? Though, who will just go for it like Mary Quilly did and goes no, for no, it. No, I think it would be different. I think I wouldn't ask somebody to do seven days a week and seven nights a week. I mean, that's that's what I have been doing and I haven't been a martyr to the cause. That's just the way it went and that's just the way I kind of took part in it, especially when we did the campaigns or, you know, went to groups and spoke at groups. A lot of them were after five in the evening or it might be the odd weekend. So that's why I keep going. And I'm having really enjoying tonight marking, like I feel like tonight is about marking the 40th, but tomorrow's let's get back at it now again. It's always been a pleasure to do with it and thank congratulations. And, and I mean that, PJ, thank you so much. The irrepressible uh, Mary Crilly. I met another living legend there last night and she came up in conversation on the show yesterday, uh, Katrina Toomey of Penny Dinners. She was there, of course, with the, the High Hopes Choir and she's preparing, she was telling me, for the High Hopes Orchestra. She was on here a week or two ago telling me about the High Hopes Orchestra and her plans for a Christmas concert and she told me that they have a date now penciled in. It'll only be a few days before Christmas. I think that the date she told me was the 21st of December. That concert will happen. Long way away, but mark it in the diary. And we've also had a little chat. And I'm going to host that concert. I'm going to emcee that concert for 
the Penny Dinners and the High Hopes Choir at the High Hopes Orchestra in December. So looking very much forward to that already. 0818 96 96 96. Occasionally, when we talk to activists and residents, residents association, public representatives and things like that on this programme, they raise issues with us and you kind of go, okay, can it really be as bad as they say? And a third of the premises, a third of privately rented premises in or around College Road, Magazine Road, not legally registered. You've done a survey on it. And are you here to tell me you told me so, Catherine Clancy? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I suppose, you know, since 2017, we've been writing to the RTB around unregistered properties in the area. And we did a the recent survey found that, you know, a third of the properties, the only sample survey that we do as residents because it's quite cumbersome to go through their database, like, you know, brought the 269 properties that we uh, looked at, 99 were not registered, and a, a number of those properties were first reported to the RTB in 2017. Now, legislation is there since 2014, almost yes. 10 years yeah. ago. That says yeah, if you're yeah, renting yeah. a place, it must be registered. Yes, and as you know, for us, I suppose, why are we involved and why are we concerned about it? As residents, you know, if we have an issue with a property or if a tenant has an issue with a property or a student has an issue with a property, you cannot um, prog- progress a complaint until the property is registered. And you're relying then, if you do get in contact with the RTB, if the property isn't registered, for them to follow up. It is our experience that the RTB is not doing its job when it comes to um, registering properties and following up on registering properties. And in the end of the day, you know, they're the body that their core responsibility is to provide accurate data to the state on how many private rental properties are out there. And all this week, I've been listening on the radio to the media, to politicians, to various uh, bodies, uh, quoting their figures as the accurate figures around how many rented properties there mm. are there. They're the body that have quoted about um, landlords leaving the market. When in our experience, you know, how do they know when they don't actually know how many landlords there are out there? They say in the whole of the country, PJ, there are less than 300,000 rented properties. That figure itself is alarming because, you know, it is much, much more than that. Like, you know, if you just take Cork alone, you probably have 100,000 rented properties. Well, of the 200, there's, let's do it from your own figures. Of the yeah, 269 yeah, yeah. that you surveyed, <clears throat> you mm-hmm. came up with 99 that weren't yes. registered. So that's 99 that technically yes. nobody knows about. Yes, and if you were to look at their own figures and you were to use the same stats, you would be saying that there's around 150,000 properties out there that nobody knows about. And also the loss of revenue to the state, like, you know, you're talking of millions of euros lost. But you have to say why the body, the RTB, why there seemed to be no appetite to uh, follow up on registration, to do their job and to be as their main responsibility to provide accurate data to the to the state on how many rental properties out there. And if the government are to move on, you know, dealing with this house, housing crisis, the first thing you have to have is accurate data. Well, now, and here's, here, here's a question for you to, to finish up, yeah. because, yes, you're right, mm-hmm. accurate data is everything. Clearly, the data we're getting from official sources based on your survey is totally mm-hmm. inaccurate. But if I have a premises... Be it a house, be it a couple of apartments, be it whatever it is. If I have a premises and I start renting that out, it is, I take it, my responsibility to register it. But if I don't, 
Who comes after me to check that I do? In our experience, nobody. Yeah. Nobody comes after That's me. Typical. Nobody comes after and even if you had a registered property and you decide not to register it next year, mm. the chances are there'll be nobody come after you. As I say, like, you know, some of these properties um, that we're onto the RTB and we've been sending the, the, the data on since 2017, some of these properties still are not registered. So, like, why is there no enforcement? You know, if, like, if there was an article this morning um, in own English in the examiner where the, he questioned the RTB on our data yesterday. And they said in 2021 that they actually did 169 investigations. This is for the whole of the country. We alone, as a residence association, sent them 143. Yeah. Yeah, and 99 that were unregistered. And you have to wonder now, I guess, Catherine, what they'll do with that information that you give them about the unregistered properties. Thank you, Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road and College Road Residents Association. They did a survey uh, with their own resources of 269 properties and they found that 99 of them were not registered, which meant there was no tax being paid on them, which meant that there was no... The money was going straight into somebody's pocket, which meant that the numbers, the figures being given out of what's available to rent in the country or in that area are inaccurate because 99 properties are not declared. And she said herself, trying to deal with any kind of a situation without the ac- without accurate data. You're only fooling yourself, as the teachers used to say. Speaking of that, I mean, here's the thing that comes up about rent. I own my house. I'm lucky enough to be able to own my house. Um, well, the bank does for a few years anyway. But I own my house. I'm able to have my dog or my dogs. But if you're renting your house, can you have your dog? It's very difficult to rent a house if you have a pet. That's coming up next. Also, we're with our friends at Carrigaline Furniture Centre. Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets again today. 1,500 euro voucher to be won tomorrow. We've had some fun with this during the week. You can spend it on anything you want in the shop. Respa, mattresses and beds are quality flooring and carpets. Who is bouncing on our bed today? Who is bouncing on our bed? I never ever thought that maybe talking about it with my brother or with anybody else at that point would be therapeutic. Fair enough. Let's go again. I never ever thought that maybe talking about it with my brother or with anybody else at that point would be therapeutic. Who is bouncing on our bed? His name and yours, please. To 083 396 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Maria, you are on the lookout for a place to rent, but it's not just you. It's Nelly 
Who's Nelly? Morning. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, she's here sitting with me, shivering with the cold <laughs> that's out there today. <laughs> um, yeah, so Nelly is my little Jack Russell okay. and um, we've been, we're based in Limerick and we're moving to Cork for um, work circumstances. Okay. Um, uh, we've been looking maybe about like two months or that way and there's just not a lot of options out there. Um between places that are actually listed as being pets allowed, very, very few and um, just not many options with it. And then, you know, I have tried to kind of contact people and say, you know, by the way, I like I do have um, a dog as well and just kind of chance it and uh, I don't get any responses to those um, at all. And I suppose it's just very different because I lived in Australia for a few years and over there, um, they actually have laws protecting tenants that they can't be refused um, to have uh, a oh, wow. pet um, in rental accommodation. Um, so there's a lot more protection. And like with that, I definitely did see a lot more people, like younger people kind of, you know, in their 20s and 30s, able to have um, pets because like there wasn't the barriers um, yeah. And there was protection with it, yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at a simple thing like yeah. having a dog, loads of people have dogs, loads of people have have cats. Um, you, it sounds to me you're moving for work and the price range is, you can probably manage the price range. You're just wondering, will anybody take Nelly? Someone was suggesting, I think, on Facebook that you just don't tell them until you arrive with dog under yeah. your arm. Yeah, I was, yeah, I kind of was looking around on Facebook for in kind of groups and stuff. And it's obviously it's happening people all across the country, like, um, and like, no wonder there's so many dogs being given up and, and all this yeah. going into shelters um, as a result. But like, I, I don't want to end up in a messy situation with being kicked out if the pet yeah. is discovered and that kind of thing. Like, it's it's not the way to go about things, really. Yeah, yeah. You you, you want to be straight and upfront about it. You mentioned Australia and I suppose compared to compared to us they have a much more traditional rent culture going going back along whereas rent culture is kind of new to us and landlords don't want the hassle of a dog yeah I'd say that's what it is more than anything it's just like it's probably just the idea of it more so than anything because it's like really what harm do they ever really cause in houses um like like my dog is perfectly house trained yeah. and tidy and uh, she just wants to be on my lap like yeah yeah um, they may occasionally so, wee on the floor if you leave them for too long that's about as much trouble as they'll cause yeah 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 and you know if it's a puppy or something like that but um yeah, I'd say it's just it's just the idea of it, and I think it's um, it's. I suppose I'd like to even say, as I'm on air, to say to any people out there who are in a position to um, rent out properties or whatever, um, to just make sure that you do put on the um, uh, the listing. Like, if if you don't mind pets, like just give people the option. Like, there has to be plenty. There's so much animal ownership in this country like so many people have pets that there must be more properties out there they're just not like putting it on the listing and it doesn't hurt Um, to put in 
pets welcome or just as easily pets not welcome. It allows you to move around and work with some level of clarity. And, you know, in Australia, again, Maria, would it be a thing that a person who had a dog with them, would they have to pay extra towards damage deposits or anything like that? Uh, I'm not too sure about that. But the way it is, is like you actually, you apply in writing. So, you know, it's all just kept a lot more above board. Um, I guess even going back to the conversation you were just having there with the previous lady, that there's still a lot of things happening under the counter a lot in Ireland, whereas there wouldn't be too much of that happening over there. Um, And it's like you apply in writing. So even if you're already living somewhere and then you decide to get a pet, you can apply in writing and they have to uh, respond and give, um, like they have to have a very strong legal reason to refuse you. you. So yeah, it's just totally different. Um, And I just, I mean, generally I think the culture towards um, pets over there is just like, a lot more modern and things as well. Even though we are very high, you're right, our levels of pet ownership are very high. I think the attitude of society to pets isn't as as cool as it were, as it is in Australia. Yeah, and look, if they can do it there, like, why can't we do it here? It's just, it's not that big of a difference. Yeah. Well, does anybody want to accommodate Maria and Nelly? How old is she? <laughs> She's two. She's okay. two. She's very lovable. <laughs> and is she is she neutered? She's not going to start to have you like it won't there won't be one dog this month and maybe six dogs <laughs> in six months time. No, I oh I can't take on the extra one is enough. Like she used to be walked three times a day, so that's yeah. enough to keep me going. <laughs> Keeps you fit. When do you need to move? When are you? Yeah. When, uh, I, I, it's not, um, I'm fortunate enough. It's not as urgent as I'm sure there's people in much worse predicaments than mm. me. Um, I can, I can wait until I can find somewhere. Okay. Um, and, uh, obviously there's no question of giving her up. Like, absolutely that's not going to happen. That's so, not going to happen. No, that's no. not going to happen. All right. Well, I think it's a fair question, yeah. Maria. And let's see, not, and not just you and specifically but in general having a pet in, in rented accommodation thank you Maria and good luck with finding something yourself and, and Nelly there's a thing though like rented accommodation in general and I know I'm probably talking to thousands of people that are renting are you allowed have a dog or a cat or a budgie or whatever or a ferret I don't know yes people do still keep ferrets as I discovered recently I won't tell you how but are you allowed to have a pet in rented accommodation and if not why not if you are a landlord we won't don't worry we won't we won't you know be nasty to you if you're a landlord and you don't allow pets why Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six and oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. um yeah how could you resist a little dog? I mean, we love dogs in Ireland. And I'll bet you, here's the thing, you'll probably find landlords who don't allow dogs in their premises, but also have their own dogs. Anyone, anyone care to add to that? 0818969696. Got a letter, an email from Susan recently about children's allowance. And I'll come to it, not just now, but I will come to it later. Susan got a letter from the children's allowance and says she gets it nearly every year and she's wondering why does she get it and others don't seem to 
the one thing about it, I've seen this letter before, a friend of mine got it and left it behind the bread bin and ended up in trouble having to get their allowance reinstated. I'll come to that in a while. Susan's wondering why is she getting this letter when those around her aren't. We got an email from a listener and it opens a, a wider conversation. I wonder could you talk about St. Catherine's in Kilcully? Huge headstones are being erected up there on some graves. Things are also being placed around the base of the trees and that surely isn't appropriate. The trees are not the property of any one person. My husband is buried in St. Catherine's, says this call it was. It's a corner plot with a tree near it. The tree has been taken up by people hanging lanterns and putting up Irish flags. I'm just wondering if anyone else has come across this. What's worse is that some of my relatives and friends and neighbours now think this represents my late husband's wishes, when it doesn't. That's interesting. And the trees in St. Catharines are not owned by anybody. They are public trees, but she says some of them have been taken over with lanterns and, and Irish flags, one near her husband's grave, for example, and very big headstones being erected on certain graves. It, it leads me to uh, an article that was in the Echo recently by Sarah Horgan about some of the strange things that are brought up to the altar at funerals or some of the strange things that happen at funerals. Um, the Rever- very Reverend Father Thomas Walsh is a parish priest at Church of the Ascension in Grana Brawer. And you're quoted in that article tomorrow. You've seen, you've seen some strange things in your time. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Uh, thank you for being on. J- just, I'd say, first of all, that the great majority of families that we deal with present no problem. Yeah. Uh, they come heartbroken and they look for guidance and d- direction and what to do. And in going through the ceremony with them, invariably they talk about the, the loved one who has died and the loss they are. I think for us priests, we are privileged to be allowed into their conversation as they relate the loss they are, uh, that they are feeling. Now, being with families at such moments and being with the dead in their final days is one of the most rewarding experiences that we have as priests. Mm. um, There there are some things around funerals that are patently wrong. And things like the music played, it's a sacred celebration, like the music played, the gifts were offered, um, the conduct and reading. So those, and I suppose um, the vast majority of people just let it go. But if it's wrong, I think we we should call it out. And that's maybe why I I do it myself. Take the the offerings as a particular one. If someone was a, you know, known all their life as a lover of sport then one might bring up a football or a hurley or something. You okay with that? I am, no problem. And In fact, I would say that I have never ever stopped anything that they wanted to bring up. I I would encourage them to kind of think of something different but if they insist, in fact if people are involved with clubs and things I think it's very appropriate that they would bring the that they would bring a kind of a hurley or a football or a jersey to the club. So I have no problem with that. No. Then what kind of thing, Father Tomás, would you uh, kind of say, well, we can't do uh, that? I suppose a very common one would be the packet of cigarettes. And 
you know, like, what does that tell, tell us about the, the loved one who has died? Or maybe uh, the remote control would be a very popular one. Now, if they want it, they get it. But I say, look, what does it tell us about the loss they are? And um, they are bringing a bottle of whiskey or a six-pack, um, again, to try and discourage them. Yeah. What, it, 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 it's not appropriate, I think. Yeah, um, I was at a funeral one time for a man. We all knew him here. He worked in radio for a few years. Um, and we brought up, or his his family brought up, a record and a pair of headphones. Well, that that would be appropriate. Uh, it's both, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. If they can give me a good rational reason why they're bringing something up. Yeah, yeah. Things that things that are happen happen by the grave. Um, you quoted us saying that you saw someone who cracked open a can of beer, poured half it into the grave and drank the rest of it. Now that seems to be extreme. Uh, well, there are, it happens often enough, you know, maybe not too often, but often enough you'll get the people who are doing kind of libations into the grave and that's a kind of a pagan thing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and uh, you could get, in some uh, funerals, you could get 40 people throwing 40 cans of, emptying 40 cans of beer God. into the grave. Well, that picture, I can't get that one out of my head. Yeah. appropriate and inappropriate behaviour at the graveside. Come back to the music for a second because I, I suppose it's a precious 40 minutes or 45 minutes in the church as we say goodbye to a loved one and they may have a song that was associated with them. Um, again, I would suggest to them that maybe you play it coming in or playing it going out but that it should be sacred music uh, in uh, in a religious ceremony would be my feelings on the matter. Do you have songs, like, there would be songs that cross over, like On Eagle's Wings is a very yeah, popular, yeah, no. well, that was a pop song, or, or You Raise Me Up, which is hugely yeah. popular. Beautiful, again, no problem with those. There'd be kind of things like deep pop or heavy metal or things like that. Yes. Uh, or uh, kind of Cork City kind of what's the song in Cork City the Mardike oh yeah um, you know that one but, um, but that, the generally banks, the banks like the banks yeah, yeah. now uh, again if they want to, if they want when the coffin is coming up to church I would suggest that that might be an appropriate time for it or when the coffin is going down the church at the end you know most families are very happy uh, to take direction as I said mm. at funerals are, are, there, um, are there rules with regard to the music? Are they laid down? The, you hear the old bishop's list. Yeah, there are. Uh, very clearly, very... Uh, people don't enforce them. That's the problem. But, um, but clearly there is, like, if it's a sacred ceremony, it should be sacred music or kind of coming near to sacred music. You know, so. crossover, crossover stuff, stuff that yes, yes. you know. Um, what there was one, um, Elvis Presley used to do a lot of gospel stuff in his early days. Um, would you have an objection to an Elvis Presley gospel track being played over the public address, for example? Uh, no, not again. If it's at the, if it's if it's kind of appropriate music, uh, 
if it's kind of inappropriate in the sense that it's not suitable for a religious ceremony, I would say it should be played at the beginning and at the end. Okay. okay. All right. And Have you ever had to say to someone, absolutely not, that's not happening in my church? Yeah, I have actually, and kind of they reluctantly go along with us and things like that, you know. Would people get upset? Uh, they do, uh, but um, they they kind of, if they realise then that if they want their religious ceremony, they have no, uh, they have no um, alternative but yeah. to uh, agree or to find some other priest. Yes. You know, with regard to the, either burial or cremation, I know there's an opportunity for more, more prayer at both the graveside and indeed at a cremation. And sometimes you'd get music played at the cremation ceremony that wouldn't necessarily be sacred. Is that okay? It is, yeah. It's the, it's the church ceremony, really, that I'm concerned with, uh, PJ. All right, okay. Thanks very much, Father Tomás Walsh, from the Church of the Ascension in Granborough. I know you have Mass coming up at 10, Father Tom, so I'll let you go. I, I recall um, our beloved friend here at, at work, Jim, a few years ago when Jim passed away. His song, Jim's song, was Little Old Wild Little Old Wine Drinker Me. And every any time Jim would have a few bevies, um he'd come out with Little Old Wine Drinker Me and at the crematorium that was played as the doors closed. I thought it was lovely. With regard to stuff going in the grave, something I did myself, I've never said this on the air. I'm going to say it now. The morning my dad was buried uh, in 2018, January 2018, it was a beautiful morning down Black Rock, and all his life my dad was partial to a bar of Fry's chocolate. You know the one, Fry's chocolate cream. was very partial. Um, And I brought a bar of it in the pocket of my jacket. And just as the coffin went down, and we were walking away. I threw the bar of chocolate into the grave. Just walked up. My mother says, what'd you do? I said, that was a bar of fries. And she looked at me, she goes, only, only you. Only you. 0818969696. I don't know about you, but I have booked my flights for my summer holidays. And compared to last year, which was the first year back after the pandemic, we could do it. They've only varied really, by maybe plus or minus 100. I think I think they're costing me 150 quid more than they did this time last year. Now, bags and baggage will add to that, but you know yourself. But Joan Scales, travel writer, um, has been writing that it's going to go up. Writing in the Irish... In, in, is it in the Irish Times? Yeah. It is going to go up, Joan, over the last... But the reasons are amazing. First of all, Hi. you talk about fuel. Hi, how are you doing? But I'll talk about fuel in a second. Money that we lost during the pandemic because planes weren't flying over us. I didn't know that. Tell me more. I know it's fascinating, the whole aviation industry, to be honest, PJ. And thanks for having me on. Yes, Ireland is quite a route. Um, We have what's called overflights. So any plane that flies over Ireland pays the Irish Aviation Authority an amount 
with money. And it happens in other countries too. But because of our location, we get a huge amount of traffic. The US and Canada in particular comes over Ireland. And what happens is aviation, the Irish Aviation Authority manages that flight as it comes across. Now, in 2019, there was almost 1.2 million flights over Ireland. 1.2 million flights. Crikey. Right. How much did that generate? Just over our little Ireland. <laughs> and that generated about 200 million in, in revenue for the Irish Aviation Authority. So, of course, the last two years when we had the pandemic, there was very few overflights. It fell to less than 50% of that. Now, because of that, their revenues fell. Now, it's not only the Irish Aviation Authority, it's all the other aviation authorities around Europe. So the European Commission has said that they can recoup their losses, which are incredible 5.6 billion through airlines. And we know what happens when the costs are passed on. They eventually come down into our pocket. So the fact that your flights have only gone up by 100 euros is good, but it's still gone up. But that's one of the issues that's going to affect us. But there's a few other things as well. I mean, there's 400 aircraft stranded in, in Russia since the war began. They're worth $10 billion. And would you believe Ireland is the biggest country in the world for leasing aircraft? Because most airlines don't own their aircraft anymore. They lease them. So Ireland has more than 50% of the leasing business. So there's a lot of countries, companies in Ireland on the hook for this $10 billion. Now, of course, that also has a knock-on effect because it's probably going to end up in litigation. But at some stage... Those aircraft, they have to be paid for somewhere along the line. So the airlines that own them are going to have to pay for them. Uh, Now, there may be, you know, some litigation. There might be some insurance. But at the moment, it's all up in the air. And then, of course, there's the other things that are affecting the cost of flights. And these are apart from the global issues. There are things like um, the cost of living. Because, of course, the cost of living is affecting everybody. Yes. So those rises, things like wage increases, are will will come down to the bottom line. They'll come down to our pocket as well. Um, a lot of airlines have had, particularly in the US, they've had to increase the wages quite substantially to keep staff. Yes. That's been a big problem. So that, you know, trying to keep staff means they had to make it more lucrative for them to work for you. And then things like food and services, oh, yeah. All those charges have increased in the past year. The baggage, so baggage is getting saucy. You're thinking, of, oh, oh, isn't it expensive? Oh my God! I recently did a great video about how you can pack a small bag that fits under the seat of a Ryanair flight, but because otherwise, a small bag is going to cost you more than sixty euros. I mean, yeah. it's probably double the cost of your flight each way. So your baggage costs each way. It's very expensive. I mean, they've gone mad on the baggage prices. So anything you can do to keep down the cost of your flights is great. But one thing we'll say, and and you you've already booked your holidays, but for people, your local travel agent is your best friend in this scenario because a lot of them will allow you pay over installments. Yeah. So you can pay over months. So. If you want to lock in your prices now, pick what you want to do for your holidays or your flights or whatever it is you have coming up and lock it in and look at an instalment plan because that way you can spread the cost of your trip. Yeah, over there was the another years. another article I read during the week, Joan, where the average family yeah. will spend 2,800 on a holiday. 
this year. I'd say that's conservative. Yeah, to be honest, that's concert that is conservative because as we know, particularly at July and August, the prices nearly double. They do. You know, for family holidays. And I'm really saying to people, you're looking at it a thousand ahead for your holiday in Spain or Portugal or, you know, whatever you normally do. Um that's very conservative. I mean, that's not high season prices, yeah. to be so honest. Mike Michael was on he was looking for Dublin Orlando. Uh, two adults and two children aged three and eight, Dublin to Orlando. Flight yeah. only, 25th June, back 7th July. Aer Lingus, yeah. economy smart fare, five and a half grand. Yeah, that's a 10 grand holiday. It is. Definitely. And that's what I'd be saying to people. If you're going to Orlando for your holidays, don't budget less for four. Don't budget less than 10 grand. Because even when you get there in Orlando, it's pricey. The theme park tickets are expensive. I mean, it's a brilliant holiday. Don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant holiday. I would highly recommend it. I think every family should do Orlando at least once because it's wonderful for the kids. The theme parks are amazing. The whole Disney, Universal, you know, Aquatica, they all know how to give you a great holiday. They also know Um, how to charge you for it, though. But they know how to charge. It's not cheap. And don't forget, the dollar to the euro is, what, 106? It's so low now. You might as well call it one-to-one. So the value that we used to get isn't there. I mean, when we were getting 140, 150 to the dollar, it was brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean... But now you may call it one-to-one. 550 in dollars for a bottle of Bud, you know, that used to be okay because it was only about 4 euro or 450 euro. Now it's 550. That's all gone up. That's all gone up. Oh, and then you you add your service charge and your tip onto that. Your tax on your tip as well. (laughs) I think I'll go to Crosshaven. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you might be slightly better value in the long run. The one thing I didn't know and I was amazed by, and that's the, the figure... I worked it out there while we were talking. About €166 for every flight that flies over our head. So you're there in the morning feeding the birds and there's a flight going over. Every time that happens, 166 quid. Didn't know that. It is. It is, yeah. It is. And, you know, Ireland has a very sophisticated aviation industry. And um, most of them, I think they have a big place down there in Limerick, near the Limerick-Clare border. And um, it's been doing this job for a long time and the airlines trust them, yeah. you know, to get them across the, the Atlantic yeah. because it's, uh, they, it's the last contact yeah. before yeah. they cross, you know, what's that, two, three thousand miles. It's, 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 it's fascinating. That's something I didn't know. I think a lot of listeners wouldn't have known this morning. Every time a flight goes overhead that you see, uh, there's, they have to pay. The, the, the Ireland has to pay. Joan Scales, formerly of the Irish Times, her website, travel to Ireland with a two dot IE. Thank you, Joan. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Crikey, and I thought I was the only one that had ever done that. I went to a funeral, says this person on the phone, and the son of the deceased 
put a Cadbury's fries bar in the grave. And it was so appropriate because his father had loved them. And I was proud because it meant he really knew his father. And a lot of these things about really knowing the person who died. I thought I really was the first person. And they did. The morning of the funeral, I went up to the shop and I got a bar of fries, chocolate cream. And he used to love it. If you've never had it, try it, by the way. It's one of the nicest bars of chocolate ever put on the planet. He used to love them. And anytime he was in hospital, I'd, I'd bring him a couple of bars of fries, chocolate cream, and he'd have them munched before you'd be out of the ward. He loved them. But I thought, like, that morning, I'd pop up and I'd get thrown into the grave with him. And I, I just thought it was a nice thing to do. I was amazed someone else has done it. That's cool. Bernie says, there's always been a tradition of putting things on the coffin in Ireland. I wouldn't call that pagan. While I agree with some of what Father Tomas is saying, I really wonder if he's going a bit too far. You're remembering a life in all its beauty and depth. That's a point, Bernie. Uh, the thing that Father Tomas seemed to have a problem with was putting a packet of cigarettes, say, and a lighter on top of a coffin. I wonder if a person was a pipe smoker, would he have a problem with that? And also, he didn't like the idea, even though it rarely happened, of someone wanting to put a say a bottle of whiskey or a six pack on top of on top of a coffin you you could <laughs> you see some lovely things and you do see some kind of some kind of ooh that's a bit over the top but then again you are as bernie says are you not remembering the life in all of its beauty and depth paddy says i agree 100% with father tomas i applaud his courage in coming on about a very important issue it can really offend people to be confronted with things like heavy metal in surroundings that they come into for reflection and prayer. Even more so, if it's not the family themselves, do it. I once saw an Elvis impersonator at a, at a, at a funeral. The woman who had died, this was in Fomoy, the woman who had died was a lifelong Elvis fan. And at the end of the church, and for the life of me, I can't remember what the song was, but it was an old hymn. I think it was how it was, How Great Thou Art. And Elvis Presley recorded a gorgeous version of How Great Thou Art. But at the end of the Mass, as the coffin was being shouldered out to go to the graveyard, Elvis, in all of his finery and glory, impersonator, of course, stood on the balcony of the church and gave the most wonderful rendition of How Great Thou Art as the coffin was led out of the church and I thought that was lovely some people would think it was inappropriate my father passed away three weeks ago we were distraught that we weren't allowed a eulogy the priest only mentioned my father's name once a friend of mine had a family member die in another parish and it was okay to speak about their loved one it was such an unpersonal funeral this happened in West Cork some churches clamped down a lot on eulogies some eulogies could get out of hand to be fair but some churches did clamp down a lot on eulogies. <laughs> I'm always warm to the idea of someone saying a few words. I had the privilege of doing it at my dad's funeral. I think I spoke for about four minutes uh, just to thank people and to talk about him and whatever. And I, I wrote it out and printed it and whatever. I, I, you know, I lost it. I lost it. I went looking for it on his anniversary a couple of years ago. And I lost it because the laptop that I wrote it on, died. And I had no way to retrieve it. Um, but uh, it was very personal to me and it was only four minutes long. And if someone, had, some priest had said to me, you can't do that, I think we'd have fallen out. I do. 
Kate says at a very well-known musician's funeral recently there was a jazz band and why wouldn't there be it would be my view on that your thoughts welcome at 0818969696 we will be going to Douglas shortly because they need a favour for their St. Patrick's Day parade and there's bad news for Middleton they're not having any that's sad to see but I want to go first of all to the land of wonder down under to Australia and I read a most interesting piece in the Times by Jill Kenny. Uh, Jill, it's, is it four years now since you had a drop of Sauvignon Blanc? Good morning. <laughs> good morning, PJ. Or good evening as How it is over there. It is the evening here, but you sound very chirpy and it definitely is the morning there, isn't it? So good morning to you and your listeners and thanks so much for having me on the show. Could you get a um, tiny yes, bit closer right. to that phone for me? Could you do that? Just a tiny yeah, bit that close. A bit that's a bit better. That's a bit better. Um, I'm hoping that the line, the line won't let us down because at this time of the evening, it does not. It's not the best. Okay. Um, okay. too many, too many people yapping on the phone. <laughs> now you are a Corkonian. Um, I am indeed. Yeah. Um, are you from Ballinlock? I grew up in Silverdale. Oh, did you? Well, we probably walked past each other loads of times because I, I, I grew up. Well, I kind of divided. Well, I, I. I spent some of my time on the Bourne Manor Road and then we built a house out in Rochester. Right. So I, we kind of, um, but I used to hang out in Silverdale. I had a really good friend of Gearin's in, in Silverdale. <laughs> Neighbours' children. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So you and I would have rubbed shoulders, I'm sure, in, in the Silver Key. Probably did. We probably did. When did you go probably to us? Oh, we've been here 13 years now. Okay. But I've been out of Ireland. I I couldn't get I couldn't get away fast enough. I ran I ran away at eighteen, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a long time ago. I'm in my fifties now. <laughs> <laughs> why did Why could you not wait so, to get out of Ireland? Oh, oh for a, a whole, whole range of reasons. Um, running away from myself mainly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you tend to catch up with yourself that you way. Know, you know how it is. I did, but it took me a long bloody time to finally catch up with myself. Yeah. Yeah. You were in Perth. I'm in Perth, in the west of Australia. Yeah, it's beautiful here. We're very, very lucky. Yeah, really, really stunning. So I, I hear you on. I heard on your your weather report there that you're having snow in some parts still. There's snow up and down the country, people, and I'm looking out the people. window. It's it's absolutely horrible in Cork this morning. It's cold oh. and it's wet. And go on, go on, go on. What you got there? Look all. Up. All I can hope is that you, you will get a nice summer again because you had an amazing time last year, didn't you? I did, I did. What have you got there? Yeah, so uh, it's we've had, look, it's been relentless, PJ. We've had uh, 38 degrees every day for too long, and I'm over it. And I think most people in Perth are over it. You know, it's 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 all right when you're on your holidays when you don't have to be working in it. But when you're out and about and you're trying to get the dog walked and you're trying to get the shopping in, it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. When did you? quit the drink Jill and why it's coming up to four years in May and I quit because I finally came face to face with the fact that it was causing more depression than is than I had I was drinking because I was depressed but then I was getting even more depressed because I was drinking were you a wine at and it's very person? common Oh, I was definitely a wine o'clock person, but always five o'clock. Even if someone said to me at 11 o'clock in the morning, it's five o'clock somewhere, I, I never went along with that. I, I, I was an evening drinker, but it doesn't matter when you drink. It's, it's, it's why you drink is the problem, you know, and I was drinking to mask problems that I just wasn't dealing with. Mm. Um, and it was kind of at the same time every day you would start, was it? 
Um, yeah, except on a Monday, I'd go, I'm not going to drink today. And then I'd beat myself up by seven o'clock. I'd go, oh, bugger it, I'll have a drink, you know? And it was just this horrible head game of I will, will I or won't I, or I won't, and then I will. And my husband and I, we were both in it together. He's from Cork as well. I think he went to the same school as you. Did you go to Colossus Chris Rick? I did. Yeah, I think he went to, yeah, he's a few years younger than you. But anyway, so the two of us, we were as bad as each other. And he'd say, He'd agree on a Sunday night, right, we're over this, we're not going to drink tomorrow. And then tomorrow would come and, and I'd say, I'm not drinking. And he'd say, Eric, sure, I'll just have the one. And then I'd, I'd say, Eric, sure, if you're going to open a bottle, I might as well have, a, have one as well, you know. And then he'd not want to drink on the Tuesday and I'd say, I'm going to have one, you know, it's ridiculous. So, so at what point did you realise, like, I might intend not to have a drink today, but actually my body is going to tell me I have to have a drink. I was lucky that I didn't get to that stage. I mentioned that in my article. You know, there's a spectrum. Um, I was psychologically dependent on alcohol to give me a buzz so that I didn't have to feel the pain that I was feeling emotionally. Nice. Um, but I was I was sitting, I was poised at the top of that slide and any minute now I was just going to go sliding down that slippery slope, you know? You caught yourself um, in time. And I was very aware of that. I did, I caught myself in time. But, you know, even if I had gone down to the bottom of the slope, um, the, loads of people recover from that too, you know. And that's it's important to have the conversation about the fact that there's, there's, there's no shame in, in admitting wherever you are on that slide, wherever you are on that spectrum. It's about being able to come out and say, I have a problem, I need help. You know, and, you know, there's no one person better than another. It, we're all we're all trying the best we can. And I, I think it's so important to talk about it and, to, you know, try and lift that stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, labels, people get labeled alcoholic, loser, stoner, drug addict, whatever. Labels are just for jam jars. Yes. You know, we shouldn't be labeling people. And in my, I, I write a blog, PJ, um, and I've got thousands of subscribers since all these articles that I've written in the Times. And um, it, they, they write to me with their own stories. And, and it's just heartbreaking to see people being shamed and feeling that they, they can't come out and talk openly about what's, what's troubling them because they're drinking or they're taking drugs and people gambling. You know, there's all sorts of addictive behaviors. And um, the important thing is that we, we lift the lid on it and we say, you know what, it's, it's just a part of our existence. Let's talk about it and let's see how we can help each other. Yeah. You see yourself um, as having yeah. overcome an illness. Now, you were at, like you said, you were at the top. You, weren't, you hadn't descended into, or would you consider yourself to have been, I don't want to use the word, but there is no other word to use. Would you consider yourself to have been an alcoholic or verging on it, Jill? Um, I'd say I was verging on it, um, but again, not wanting to use labels. Where, where When I talk about illness, I talk about my mental health. Because, in I mean, I've, I've been studying counselling and I've, I've recently qualified and as I, I, I've also become a facilitator for smart recovery, which for any of your listeners who are, are worrying about their own drinking and need help, then I would strongly recommend people visit the smartrecovery.ie website. It's a free service. It's, it's along the lines of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's different because it, it treats people in a, in a very, um, it gives people the skills to, to manage their own recovery. SMART stands for self-managed and recovery training. So they give you the skills to help yourself to recover from whatever affliction it is that you're, you're grappling with, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, Congratulations, by so, the way, on becoming a, um, a counsellor. 
Thank you very much. Um, so um, my illness, and I'm still living with it, but it's I'm lucky that I, I'm dealing with it. And um, But my illness was, look, my drinking was underpinned by serious anxiety. I had, from a very, very young age, I was anxious. And then, you know, I was frustrated, I was angry. And I remember I was working down in the Nova Court as a teenager, picking up glasses. Oh, my God. Um, at the, oh, at the, there were so the many times our paths disco. have crossed here. This is ridiculous. Yeah, the over. Do you remember the over twenty ones disco on a Saturday night? It was called. It was a chicken supper. I used to do that disco for goodness' sake. Oh well, I used to work. I used to be in the cloakroom, and I used to also be picking up glasses. And I was only about fifteen, right? But I was going in behind the bar, and I was I was knocking back the gin and tonic, gin and bitter actually, gin and bitter lemon. And you know, I I, I know I was anxious at the time, but um, you know the fact that. Everyone around me was drinking and it was so normalized and I got a taste for it. So mm. I, I, it was something that it became an unhealthy coping mechanism for me to overcome my, my anxiety. But the thing is, I never overcame it. I just masked it. The, the old Dutch courage that you needed to drink yeah. to, to get around and to function in, in, a, in a crowd. Did you ever, because... Uh, being a counsellor, I'm sure you have people coming to you with their own stories of anxiety. And I've now how many people I've spoken to who have used drink or something to mask their anxiety. Did you ever get to the bottom of what was causing that anxiety, and how important is it to do it? Oh, look, there's a whole series of of, of possible reasons why somebody might be anxious um you know there's a lot of childhood trauma a lot of neglect a lot of um i had a lot of shame pj um i'm going to make a confession live on your on your radio show today which i've never actually said to anyone publicly but i got caught stealing in roach's stores when i was a teenager and it was i i was i was shamed by poor mr reynolds the store detective but the shame that was on my family when he rang them up and they had to come and pick me up. I mean, I was I was still I wasn't prosecutable age yet. I was under sixteen, right? But that was a horrible experience for me and my family. And I carried that shame around with me, and I beat myself up, and I hated myself. Yeah, I, rem- um, and, I remember and, Paul. And it just went. Yeah, a lovely and, man who hated you know, doing what he did. That went to you know he had to yeah, of do that. He did, lovely you know. man. He's still alive. You know that. Oh, I see. Yes, oh, well, yeah. if he's listening, I, I'm sorry that I caused you that kind of stress. Um, <laughs> he was a friend of my dad's, I'm actually. Spend, I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life apologizing to people for all the stupid and, and horrible things I did growing up and as a, even as an adult. But, you know, we shame is something that is very, very dangerous. It, it, it can, If we don't talk about the things we're ashamed of um, and, and we get them out in the open and, and we ask for forgiveness and we realize and accept that, look, we're human, we're just trying to find our way, um, I think it's it's so much healthier than, than hiding away with a bottle or a drug. And what we do then, or, or what we did then was, like you said, there was shame involved and you carried that shame. And nobody, because there were different times, Jill, nobody sat you down and said, look, you did a bad thing. You're not a bad person. We, we put no, this, they didn't. We put this behind they us and it's done. Learning. 
and this is the learning. This is how I'm so excited that we're evolving as, as human beings because I've got kids now and if they make mistakes, I don't say, you bad child, you bold person. I say, oh, that wasn't a very good choice you made there, was it? How, how do you think you might be able to be act differently? What, what could you do that would make, make yourself feel better, you know, make you feel more proud of yourself? But we didn't really have the language for that back then, you know. It was just... Oh, Parenting has, has evolved, thankfully. I think society has evolved a bit as well, Jill. Um, I yeah. think, you know, if some... My kids are... They're adults now. But if they had come home and said, Dad, I got picked up for robbing a bar of chocolate in Tesco's, you know, I'd probably have said, Oh, Christ, what kind of an idiot are you? But you know what? It's only a bar. Yeah. It's only a bar of chocolate. Nobody died. We'll go down and put it back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. it's more about are it's more about the anxiety. The... Sorry, PJ, I didn't mean to talk. It's okay. There's a delay. Say, it's you, the... you, you, you. Yeah, you'd have the conversation with your with your child about you know what what were you trying to achieve by that? Was it just the bar of chocolate, or was it the, the adrenaline rush of actually getting away with this? You know, because. Yeah. They're, we're all driven by, our, our behaviour is driven by different uh, motivations, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you have that conversation and then it's done. I, I often talk about my, my dad here on the show and you could bring him, and I, I try to do it with my own kids, you, you could bring anything to dad, uh, anything, and you'd sit across the table and he'd look at you and you told him the story and left nothing out. Being, and being a guard, he'd get more out if, if there was more to get. And then he'd look at yeah. you and he'd go, aren't you an awful idiot at the end of the day? <laughs> but now let's yeah. fix this. Then it will be fixed. Yeah. And then it would never be spoken of again. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the kind wonderful. of, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's so brave of you to, to tell that story. But that really, the anxiety from that incident was what led you to Oh, that, an unhealthy relationship that and with many other things and many other things you know um yeah so it's 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 a whole life of experiences that culminate and 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 we end up um in a place where we think oh my god this is not where i where i was meant to be you know yeah. and that's what i love about recovery recovery is as russell brand says recovery is recovering the person you were always meant to be and we're all meant to be somebody better than we are, you know, all of us. We all have um, a responsibility to strive to be better than we were. None of, none of us are perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. And and, and I, I love, I, I have to commend you, PJ, for the work that you do with your show because you have the power of the media there and you're using that to shine a light on the issues that I think are fundamental to making our society and the world a better place. I appreciate you saying that. that the whole that... world, because look, you... Yeah, I heard the interview you did with the two Norries and I, I loved it. I thought you were a really honest, open, compassionate person and I love the work the two Norries are doing. But, you know, when when, when people listen to the two Norries, I, I, I kind of think, you know, we hear a lot about the north side. I know I heard a lot about it growing up. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Rochester growing up and the snobbery was, was, was just despicable. It was one of the reasons why I really didn't like Cork when I was growing up and I, I couldn't wait to get out of it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay. But, you know, you don't hear a lot about people, um, you know, back in the day. But I, I saw people myself, especially having worked with the Noah Court, I could see people grappling with addiction. But it was kept under wraps because, you know, you're not going to show that off to people. You know, you're going to hide hide that away and pretend that you're perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. And we're all. And one thing that really, really helped me when I when I decided I wanted to fix myself, I joined a recovery group. So these smart recovery groups, you sit around in a circle and there are people from all walks of life, all demographics, you know, well educated, not educated at all. Poor, rich, um, black, white, all creeds, right? All in one room together, all sitting around in a circle and all coming together. And what binds us is our humanity and our vulnerability and our desire to be better than we were. And I just love that. It's transformational. You got a bit of flack, did you, on social when you began to talk about your recovery? I did. People going, oh, you're just another Irish alky blaming Ireland for your problems, you know. Um, oh, and then that one about the um, the, the smug. Did you see that one? Oh, yeah. addicts are the most smug people in the world. They think should, they should get a medal for being normal. It's like, uh, <laughs> but I've had the most amazing emails from people. I, I have literally spent the week. That article was published on, on Sunday was so funny I have to I have to say I was there I was taking a gentle scroll through Facebook on a sunny Sunday afternoon and all of a sudden I come face to face with myself and my dog on the the Irish Times news feed and I'm like oh my god I had no idea they were going to publish it I just submitted this weeks and weeks ago on the off chance that they might be interested and there it is published and I'm like oh my god my heart did a skip to beat and then they publish my website address because I have a website. I, I write a, a blog. It's for free. People subscribe and they get get it sent to their inbox every every couple of weeks. Mm. Um, but I've had the most amazing emails from people, people sharing their own story, people saying to me, I, I just made a note here. I was going to read this. This guy said, um, there are thousands more people out there that you can imagine who get inspiration from articles like yours. 
and the begrudges, the begrudges can take a flying F at a rolling donut. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of emails like that. Nobody has dared to send me an email with a nasty comment. They're just all good. It's only on social media where you get yeah. the trolls. Or anti-social media. Yeah. But social media is brilliant for some things as well, you know. It's, it spreads it spreads the positivity just as much as the negativity, you know. So we, we have to be grateful that it's a thing. Yeah. There's a line that you use in the article, for all my flaws and failings, I am okay with who I am and proud of my achievements. Being okay with who we are or being comfortable in our own skin. When you reach that point in your life, Jill, isn't that an incredible moment? It is. It is. And I, I feel so, so blessed that I, even though I'm 56 years of age now, I'm, it's never too late. I'm just so blessed that I, I can feel that now. I, I was out today walking my dog and I was just looking up at the sky and, and looking at the trees blowing in the wind. And I, I thought to myself, when I was drinking, I was numbed to this feeling of joy. Um, because that's what alcohol does. Look, let's face it. it, it it's like, it, it, we, it does numb things, you know. You might say, oh, having a drink makes you feel, feel, you know, more exciting or it might add a bit of uh, fun to a party. But actually what it does, the actual drug, what it does to the brain is it's, it starts having a numbing effect on your feelings. Mm. Um, and you just can't, so you might numb the pain, but you also numb the joy. That's and interesting. Now I just get joy in the most simple things in life and I feel so grateful to be able to feel that. You're, you're talking to someone who loves a drink and, you know, I, 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 the only reason I drink red wine is I love the taste of red wine. I, I, I'm, thankfully, I don't think I'm using it to mask anything, but I love a drink. But I have so many people around me who got to a point where they had to make the decision you made. It's a huge decision. Yeah, look, I celebrate you that you can have a, enjoy a glass of wine and um, and it doesn't affect you. But as you say, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's about what's driving the behaviour. Yeah, and that's what we we need to understand. I don't. I'm not anti drink at all. Yes, I'm just anti anti not dealing with our problems. Yes, yes, not dealing with the problems that um, you had. You developed anxiety, other issues in childhood, and then. You found yourself as an adult drinking too much to mask that anxiety and you managed to take that bull by the horns and sort it and well done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people. What's the re- what's the website, Jill, so people can have a look? Well, it's jillkennywriter.com. So Jill with the G and then K-E-N-N-Y writer.com. Okay, okay. And Leo, our paths have got to have crossed because there was Norwood Court, there was Silverdale, there was old Mr. Reynolds yeah. in Rocha Stores. And the one thing I didn't tell you, I also worked in Rocha Stores when he was the store detective. Oh, did you? I oh, did. God. Maybe I you... Did. Oh, God. That's and did you say your dad was a guard? Yes. Yeah, well, so was mine. Oh, get away out of here. They probably knew each other. Person. Tell tell Fergal his name off air, and they because they probably knew each other. Um, that's that's so cool. Lovely talking to you. Congratulations, yeah. and I think people will take a look at your your writing and and enjoy it. I am very jealous of Perth. Your dog is a dote. 
Oh, George is divine. I absolutely love him. Well, listen, PJ, if you're ever in Perth, look me up and you'd be very welcome. We've got a spare room and we'd love to put you up. <laughs> All right. Take care, Jill. Thank you very much. Jill Kenny from Cork. Um, that and Lock Road just down. And in Perth in Australia. JillKennyWriter.com. And her, I just... If you look at nothing else, get a picture of that wonderful dog. Thank you, Jill. 0818 96 96 96. That became into a conversation between two people who must have met at some point in their lives because we're, we're not that that far apart in, in age either. I enjoyed that. I really did. 0818 96 96 90. All right, it's throwing our running order up the wazoo, but we'll deal with it. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, another ace in the bucket for. Alan at Carla Weather because he did say earlier in the week when he was on that while it was unpredictable he figured that in a, in a line sort of north of the Midlands it could get quite nasty today and into tonight. Reading here where Met Aaron have issued an orange weather alert for snow and ice. Two of them in fact one for one side of the country, the other for the other side of the country for later on today and all in that general region north of of the Midlands or north of the southern end of the Midlands about a third of the way if you take the map of Ireland it would go up about a third of the way and there's a line roughly everything north of that um, Alan is right, I was right there's an orange warning for snow and ice I also see where there's been a rescue on Caron Hill. six people rescued from Caron Hill in Kerry last night after an eight hour rescue operation now I'm very tempted to ask the question who in their right mind, goes climbing a mountain like Kiran Tool when there's snow and heavy rain and other crap forecast. But look, it is what it is, and thankfully they're safe and nobody was injured. But those orange warnings are in place. There's a bit of a crisis in East Cork. They've had to cancel their St. Patrick's Day parade in Middleton, and a statement was issued by the parade committee. It is the utmost regret we've had to cancel the 2023 St. Patrick's Day Parade. They just simply are left with no choice. Uh, Sinn Féin councillor for the area is uh, Councillor Danielle Toomey. Danielle, why? This is a tough decision to have to make a week out. Why have they done it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, It's a very, very um, tough decision. Um, Unfortunately, it was a decision that we had no other choice over. Um, we couldn't leave it go any longer. Um, we had to let our vendors know so that they could attend um, other parades and not lose out on money. And we also had to let our Gardaí know because our local sergeant would have had extra Gardaí on in overtime. And we couldn't leave it go on any longer. Unfortunately, to run a parade or an event like this, you need a certain amount of volunteers and certain amount of stewards. And we just didn't get near the number of volunteers that we needed. Um, So from a health and safety point of view, we had to pull the parade. We had no other choice. That's very unfortunate. You had a problem with sponsorship as well, I think. 
Well, I mean, look, sponsorship really was was wasn't as much of a problem as it was the you know the lack of volunteers. That was really the deciding point. We would have pulled the money from somewhere. Our businesses in Middleton always come up trumps, mm. um, and they are the reason that we're able to to run the parade every year. Um, so that yeah, we were very low on sponsorship this this year, but businesses are struggling as yes. well. Um, but we would have managed. Um, but our costs have gone through the roof. Our cost of insurances have increased. Our cost for our barriers, um, everything has increased this year. Um, so obviously our, our sponsorship needs have increased also. I see in the statement, it said this, obviously last year we, we were able to get back to parades after the pandemic. It was tough to do it last year, but what I was shocked to discover was that some cars refused to stop at diversions and just kept going. Like, you can't tolerate that. Well, yeah, and I think that's probably maybe a reason why we didn't get the volunteers we needed this year. Um, some of our volunteers last year who were put on pivotal points, um, on road, road closure points, did suffer some abuse. And it was... Um, it was only like our saviour last year was our local Gardaí. Um, our, we have a fabulous sergeant here in Middleton yeah. and she was able to deploy extra resources to um, these points. And had she not done that, I don't know what we would have done. So, I mean, I can't really blame some of the volunteers for not coming forward if that's what they were dealing with last year, because no. that's wrong. It is wrong. Um, and you'd have to end. wonder, Danielle, and this is just me, you'd, you'd have to wonder what is wrong with people that on St. Patrick's Day they'd give stick to people just trying to volunteer for a public event. Yeah, nobody deserves that. Nobody does. Um, And at the end of the day, the parade is all about the kids. For us, it's all about the kids. It's all about keeping the kids safe. Um, And unfortunately, we just would not have been able to do that this year. And that is the most important thing. The kids' safety is the most important thing. And because we couldn't guarantee that this year, we just couldn't we couldn't go yeah. any further with this. Uh, the committee are absolutely devastated. Um, months of work has gone into it. Um, devastated, and it's just we had no other choice. We couldn't leave. We couldn't leave it go on any longer. It wasn't fair to our vendors to keep them hanging. It wasn't fair to our traders that were going to come in the day where they could be going somewhere else, and and we didn't want anyone to lose out of money. So we had a big, big decision to make yesterday. Um, we had a deadline that we needed a list of certain amount of sponsors. We didn't get, it, or sorry, uh, volunteers. We didn't get anywhere near what we needed to hold the parade safely. And we had no choice. We had to pull it. Is it any wonder given that behaviour of last year? Thank you very much, Councillor Danielle Toomey. Um, she's part of the committee putting together the Middleton St. Patrick's Day Parade. There now will not be one for various reasons. Thank you, Danielle. Including the fact that this is... I, I can't get me head around this. Last year, when they set up diversion points and volunteers were there to direct traffic away from the parade for what does it take? An hour? Two? That some people gave stick and abuse to volunteers just going about a bit of work for the community. Like, what's wrong with you? What's... I know it can be a pain in the ass, but if you're going into Middleton and you don't realise the St. Patrick's Day Parade on, they're not going to send you via Dungarvan, like. 
I'm shocked at that. That one of the reasons they can't get volunteers, Daniel's putting Daniel's putting two and two together. One of the reasons they can't get volunteers is because last year people were abused, got stick and got grief from motorists. That's that's just ah go way out of that. That's awful. Now down in Douglas, they need a favour. If we can help with the St. Patrick's Day parade there. Marie, morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You have the little parade all set up to go, but you need one more thing. Yes, we need a band. We don't have a pipe band, so we're looking for a band, any kind of a band, really, a marching band, pipe band, anybody that can come and help us out on the day. I've lived in Douglas a long time. I didn't realise it doesn't have a, 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 a pipe band. No, we don't. Unfortunately, we don't have one in the area, so all the other pipe bands, naturally enough, they'll be performing in their own villages and towns, so mm. it's hard for us then to get one. So you need so. a pipe band? We do. We or even even band. three or four sets of bagpipes and a drum? Yes, anything at all that will be able to, to lead the parade. We'd be very grateful if someone would come and give us a handout. What time would you need them? Um, I suppose they would need to be there for half past one okay. because the parade will start at two o'clock from St. Columbus Boys School. Okay, okay, very good. So half past one, if anybody can, even a couple of sets of bagpipes and a drum or even a full pipe band that might not yes. have a gig on the day, that'd be great. Be delighted with us, PJ, we'd be delighted. And again, if there were some Stuarts around... We'd be very grateful with a hand there as well. All right, all right. Let's see if we can get a good event. I, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to West Cork myself on St Patrick's Day, but I know you put great effort into Douglas every year, and it's a really colourful, really lovely family event. Uh, Douglas St Patrick's Day parade. Marie Piper Griggan, thank you. They need a band, a pipe band, or a couple of ba- sets of bagpipes and a drum. Can we get that sorted for them? You can call us, and we'll call, we'll call them. Oh eight one eight maybe that eight. Actually, there's the thing. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they might be able to help out in Middleton here because they don't have a parade now. They had to cancel it. Maybe there's a band in need of a gig, in need of a parade. Can we sort something out? The Douglas St Patrick's Day parade requires a little pipe band. Can anybody help? 0818-969696 on graves and funerals and things that are allowed and things that are not allowed. Hi PJ, my mom died a year and a half ago. Because of restrictions at the time, we're only allowed 25 people. We have a very big family. And my mom used to always sing Peggy Gordon. So we printed it off for everyone. And we all sang it. The funny thing is my mom never ever finished the song. <laughs> It's a long song. Never ever finish the song. Thanks for that, Carol. 0818-969696. On dogs and other such pets in apartments, chatting earlier with Maria, who is moving to Cork from Limerick for work, and her little dog, Nelly, little Jack Russell, she can't find anywhere to rent that is, shall we say, pet friendly. And she's wondering why it's kind of not a thing here. Um, Breed was on. I, I, I sorry. Yeah, I've. There's so much coming in. I'm trying to figure out what's what. I live in a Cluid apartment, and to take the apartment, I had to have my dog put to sleep. That was so hard. People don't realise how hard that is. All Cluid housing requires you to have no pets. I'm taking your word for that. 
that the case? All fluid housing requires you to have no pets, not even a goldfish. That girl there was saying we need to change our thinking. We could start with state-assisted housing. It was either kill my dog or be homeless. And I'm still very caught up about it. That's, that's most unfortunate. Betty, the problem is a few people destroy it for everyone. There are some dogs who eat the furniture and scratch the door and wee on things. And that's true, Betty. But not all of them. Not all of them. I mean, my two gobshites, yes, they'll take the occasional wee on the kitchen floor. But look, it's tiled and we have a mop and a bucket. If we're out for a few hours and we need them there, they might do a wee on the kitchen floor. That happened, but it's sad, you know. Oh, I am hearing... I am hearing that some of the bills coming in for the second round of the year, gas and electric, are even bigger than the first ones. Uh, Rose says, uh, PJ, I got my gas bill on the 12th of February for over €500. Euro. There were no arrears from the last bill on it. Got a letter yesterday from the gas company with an arrears letter. I rang them. I'm paying it weekly. They wanted me to go on a budget plan. Well, I was fuming. So whoever answered my call got their ears burnt. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough going. Let me do this and then let me do a song and clean up some other correspondence. This came in from Susan. And she sent a copy of the relevant letter. And I've seen these. They come in from the child benefit section in Letterkenny in County Donegal. And you're asked to declare certain things as part of ongoing control measures. Child benefit claims are reviewed to ensure customers remain eligible for payment. This form must be completed and returned, etc., etc. For each of your children aged between 5 and 18 Please insert certain details over need, overleaf for children under five, other such details. And then you have to sign a declaration. I declare the information given by me is true and complete. I understand if any of it is untrue or misleading, I'll be required to repay anything I receive. That letter is one that Susan has been getting. She said, every year I get this letter about my children's allowance. I've asked numerous friends if they've received it and no one has ever said yes. I was born in Cork, I've lived here all my life, my children the same. I understand checks need to be made, but I'm getting letters like this every year. Uh, maybe thousands of others are not. Do they send these to the same people constantly? Are these the kind of checks that are in place? Asks Susan. Lots of people listening will be familiar with that letter. The one thing that I will say to you is a friend got it a few years ago and put it like you do, like we all do, put it down behind the bread bin. You know, there goes with the letter from the insurance company and the doctor's appointment in behind the bread bin. The date passed and their payment was stopped. Now they got it back and they got back what they'd missed. That's one letter to not put behind the bread bin. It's pain in the ass having to fill it out, particularly like Susan said, if you do it every year. But don't leave it go. Don't put it behind the bread bin and forget about it because you will lose your your child benefit. And the hassle of getting it back ain't worth the hassle of the letter. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM. 
a.m. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call 96fm. <laughs> yeah, um, PJ, for goodness sake. What if a person smoked 80 fags a day for 80 years? Highly unlikely to have achieved that, but let's say. Uh, sure, what's wrong with putting a packet of ciggies on the coffin or a bottle of whiskey? The first three letters in the world in the word funeral is fun. At the end of one's life, that's what it should be. Now, if there were strippers or anything outlandish like that in the church, then that should be stopped, says Annie. <laughs> Can you imagine the look? On Father Tomas's face, Bumgron, or anywhere. <clears throat> no, I can't either. 0818 96 96 96. There's a crash on the Ballancolic bypass just before exit one. Car has gone off the road into the ditch. Emergency services there, let's hope. Nobody is too badly injured. And William, on the same subject, could you please tell the stupid drivers out on the roads to turn on their lights? Thanks, William. Did you know that the 9th of March is World Kidney Day? I'd heard. Obviously, I couldn't call it out in a table quiz, but I did know that they had a World Kidney Day in March. And this year, they're focusing on a theme that if your kidneys are giving trouble, so too might your heart. And if your heart is giving trouble, so too might your kidneys. Uh, we'll get a medical view on that in a little while. But I want to talk first of all to Colette Hall. Uh, it's from Ballyhay near Charleville. You're, when is it now? Three and a bit years ago you had your, your transplant, Colette. But you're very young for a transplant. You don't know. You've been 33 at the time. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you keeping? Very good. You'd have been very young having a kidney transplant. 33. Yeah, yes, I was yeah, I was yeah, I was young. Um it wasn't it wasn't I, I suppose it was a bit of a shock for me because um I had well, I'd been dealing with kidney disease for quite a while at that stage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at thirty three it it is quite young to be, you know, on the trans find yourself on the transplant list and looking for that kidney. Yeah. Talk me through the history of it. When did you first start to get sick? So I was 24 when I start, when I first started to feel a bit ill and um, I was experiencing gout. I don't know if you've ever heard of gout, but it's it's a form of inflammatory arthritis and it's a buildup of uric acid crystals in the joints. And they it's they very, used to call it the rich man's disease one time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they certainly did. But it, it wasn't it wasn't down to the meat, unfortunately. But um, I was experiencing gout anyway. For I got it when I was twenty four, and then two weeks later I got it again, and they thought they felt that there was something not quite right. So I was sent. My GP at the time sent me to a rheumatologist, and I spoke with him, and then I was sent to um. Professor Liam Plant in the CUH and I was monitored then up until 
Um, I was a manager once yearly, I think, because mm. things are fairly okay. They were stable enough, you know. Who made the connection, then, Colette, between you having pains in your joints and swollen joints, and gout can be very painful. A friend of mine used to have it. Um, that mm. Who made the connection between that and, and, and the kidneys? I suppose it was Dr. Mulcahy and then Liam Plant when I went to visit him, and he, he, he told me that... Um, I had less than normal kidney function at that stage. And I carried on like I was monitored, you know, once yearly because things were fairly stable and I carried on as any normal 24-year-old would, you know. Mm. Um, I went back to college at 27, got my social care degree and I was working. And then in 2008, 18, things rapidly declined mm. and I found myself having... Um, I found myself finding out, I suppose, really that I had 12% kidney function at Ooh. that stage. So then when I when I came out of hospital at that time, then after I think I had an infection at the time and after that, I moved slowly back up the ladder again to 15%. But then they started to do the work up for to put me on the transplant list at that stage because the criteria was that if you were at 15% kidney function that you could be you were eligible to be put on the transplant list. Did, did you ever the, have to go on dialysis, Colette? I never experienced dialysis and I'm actually very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for my kidneys to get me to where I needed to be. You know, I they they, they worked very hard for me to get me to where I needed to be. And um, but mm. like dialysis is a, is a fantastic alternative as yes. well but it's very restrictive on your life you know it can curtail your life sure. quite a lot sure. in every aspect of your life yeah you were called in then january 2020 do you get is it is it as dramatic as it sometimes sounds you get a you get a call in the middle of the night or what happened yeah it's it's exactly that yeah um i got a call at quarter to 4 in the morning and it was the transplant coordinator in Beaumont who phoned me and she more or less said uh, is this clet on? I said yes and she said um, okay, we have a kidney for you um, can you bring your meds and don't eat or drink anything and we'll see you when, I, when we see you so I had my bag prepared it was funny my friend was actually there with me at Christmas that year and I said there's my bag if if I if you're here when I need it or if I get the call and sure I never checked to see what was in it I actually had forgotten all about what was even in it when I got there but yeah it is as dramatic as it is and there's a world and a, it's it I, I can't describe to you or your listeners how it what it feels like to get that call you know at four at at that time of night like because you're really kind of you're thinking you're thinking about your your donor because it was a deceased donor's kidney yeah. that I received, yeah. and you're thinking of oh my god is this really it and you know and you hear the stories that people get to theatre and they're told it's not a match for you and are sent home so it's very very overwhelming I suppose you know because mm. from from it took twelve hours from the time from the call at four o'clock until four o'clock the following day when I was wheeled into theatre, it took 12 hours to, mm. you know... And could it, could it have been cancelled during those 12 hours if something went wrong, yeah? Yeah, like you do a blood work up when you get there and like if I was brewing infection or if, you know, there was something that they found that I wasn't aware of, you, like 
They want you to be at your fittest. So the kidney will take to you as best possible, you know, that if there's anything underlying there, yeah, it possibly wouldn't go ahead. Like okay. it's, it's very much dependent on you, being you know, as well it, as yeah. The, be, yeah. the kidney yeah. being suitable and, and you being ready. Yeah. And then when you come out of surgery, you were in at four in the afternoon. I don't know how long it takes a few hours, I assume. When did you begin yeah. to immediately know there was something different or did you? I did. Like I, I, I absolutely did. Like the following week or the the couple of days. Now I, I had, there was I had nerve damage to my leg and that and that kind of helped me held me back a bit. But the kidney worked very well from, you know, the initial stages. Like um, I was you know beginning to feel less tired. I had so much energy. I was, you know. It was it, it's 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 a dramatic change, like, and mm. I I can't imagine what it's like for someone in dialysis because they're coming from a whole, you know, different aspect. Yeah. Where I very just open, went very open, you down, know. You, I was, yeah. yeah, it was just the fatigue and the nausea killed me by the end. Like it was, and it, it mightn't sound as bad, but. It, it is like I was working and I come home and I could sleep for three or four hours and then I'd go back and round the clock again and sleep again, you know. It was exhausting. Kidney disease is very exhausting, but it's something that you can't see. Yes. You know, for, for, for someone looking at me, they think, you know, she's the picture of health, but it's actually, it's it's something that you can't see. So it's very hard to for people to, I suppose identify with yes. it or you know yeah 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 and did it ever threaten because we're i know the theme today is heart and kidneys working mm-hmm. together and and mm-hmm. did, did it ever threaten your heart or had any effect on your heart well no it's something i'm very aware of um i do take you know tablets for my heart and stuff not i take a cholesterol tablet but that like I do believe that many transplant patients would take a cholesterol tablet because of the it being related to the kid, kidney disease and heart disease be so closely linked, you know. Yeah. But I monitor it like I'm very I'm very lucky. I have the most unbelievable team of doctors, you know, Professor Plant and Phil the nurse and you know, everyone is just there. I, I couldn't be happier with my team and I'm I'm very confident in that. You know, I'm I monitor quite closely in as in I I attend clinic every three months and if right. there's anything wrong I know that they're there to call if I need them, you know. Even my GP at home here or my pharmacy, like they're all they're all fantastic. I, yeah. I, I couldn't ask for better. Do you ever think about the the person whose kidney that you have in you now? Oh, every day. Yeah, every every day. I mean, I I don't know who it is, nor will I ever know who it is. But I, could, I could do feel... Could you find feel, out if you wanted to? I don't think so, PJ. There's, there's a lot of, um, oh, you know, like... I, I don't I don't I don't think I don't think we can as yeah. it stands I don't think we can but I don't think I would like to either really um yeah I just feel that I I can't explain it to no. you I do I do feel as if it's from a male actually which is strange and I've always felt that I've mm-hmm. I felt that from from day one like okay. but there's um 
it's very strict in that like if when I write to my donor's family, I don't know who that letter is going to. I send it to Beaumont and then they send it to the family to, you know, mm. when when and if I write, when, you know. When, you when I did when I wrote in the yeah. beginning, like when you sat down to write that first letter. Mm-hmm. What do you put into that letter? Here you are, your life, your health saved. Mm-hmm. What do you put into that letter? I'd say I wrote that letter 10 times and, you know, you're so elated and you're so excited and your life has changed completely and you're trying to pull it back a a little bit in a sense of, you know, it's not all about me because like that, while you're elated, there's like... It's it's tragedy versus triumph, you know. It's a triumph for me. It's and it's a tragedy for the donor's family, but it's it's the best possible thing you could leave behind you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know that saying, you know, his or her memory will live on in me or whatever. They that person is literally living on inside of me, and it gives me like it gives me a great privilege, and it's it's. It's 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 very it's a very um what do I say it's a very like it's a very emotional experience yeah. it's very yeah. you know because this this it's just so complex like mm-hmm. it, it's an organ at the end of yeah. the day but it's you been know the, it's and it been, changes your makeup yeah. as well indeed 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 Colette, lovely speaking with you I wish you continued good health. Thank you so much. And I, I would like to say thank you to all the professionals in my life and to the Irish Kidney Association themselves. And, you know, organ donation will, can, does change people's lives forever. And I suppose if I could just say to people if they're thinking about it or would like to make their wishes known, please do, because we us we're living we're living proof that it it living does proof. work and it living it, proof. yeah can are you mm-hmm. do you know the song there's do a great song I know Palamine called Andy Dunn yeah a Cork singer songwriter wrote a song you'll find it mm-hmm. on Spotify or wherever you get your music I think it's on YouTube as well called Living mm-hmm. Proof and he wrote it about his kidney transplant. So there you go. Look wow. that song up. Look that song. It's a cracking song, actually. You'll you'll find it. Andy Dunn's uh, "Living Proof." Colette, a pleasure, a pleasure to talk to you. And I wish you, as I said, continued health. That's Colette Hall from Ballyhay near Chairlevel. That song is worth looking up. You know, yeah, it's it's a beautiful song, written by written by the great the great Andy Dunn. Um, I'm going to talk to Professor Liam Plant about that heart kidney connection in just a couple of minutes. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM the Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. A fundraising cocktail event will take place at the Address Hotel, St. Luke's Military Hill on Saturday the 11th of March in aid of the Irish Sepsis Foundation and in memory of Tracy Corcoran. There'll be music, games, spot prizes and lots more and tickets for the event can be bought on idonate.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to Cork Diary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary. With Cork's 
www.simon.ie Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. Liam Plant is Professor of Renal Medicine at Cork University Hospital. He's also the President of the Irish Nephrology Society. And our paths crossed many moons ago on the floor of G19 at the UCC Philosophical Society. Liam, good morning. You're surely not that old, PJ. Don't, don't say that to your listeners. <laughs> you were a couple of years ahead of me, but yeah, I remember you. I remember you. Liam, um, World Kidney Day, first Thursday in March, focusing this year on the connections between the kidneys and the heart. I wasn't aware that it was so connected, the two of them. Well, thanks for making that observation, because that's precisely the reason why for this year there's a focus on trying to point out to people that there's a much stronger association between kidney disease and heart disease than many people think. Um, the, there are about, about one in 10 of the population of Ireland will have some degree of kidney disease. And the more severe that is, the more likely they are to have heart disease. Uh, it's a particular kind of heart disease in particular called heart failure. And if you look at people who have, we, 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 we have stages, five stages of it. Stage um, three, four, and five, increasingly people have problems with heart disease. And in many ways, that may be the, the principal problem from which they suffer. Mm. What so is the, one what? in 10 people would have, heart, have kidney disease, and they say an awful lot of them have heart disease. What are the causes of kidney disease, and can we prevent ourselves from getting it through things like diet and exercise? Very good question. So the commonest cause in the world of kidney disease and the commonest cause in Ireland is diabetes mellitus. And diabetes mellitus, as you know, type two. to some extent, there's a, there's a type 2 in particular. Uh, there's often a family tendency to that. But being overweight, developing high blood pressure, having an unhealthy diet that is high in salt, uh, all of those are the things that, that drive uh, people to get uh, kidney disease. Now, there are other diseases as well, a whole variety of them. Some of them are inherited. Um, some of them are you know, rare and unusual conditions. But the good thing and the message we'd like to transmit is that for practically all of them, precisely the measures you've uh, mentioned there are good for dealing with all of them. Having your blood pressure checked and making sure it's okay Avoid, avoiding a diet which is high in salt in particular, keeping fit, exercising, keeping your weight under control. All of those are very good treatments uh, before you even get into medications and things mm. like that. I was listening to an interview this morning, actually, Liam, from an, with an expert from the World Health Organization about salt in our diet. We in Ireland consume a lot of salt in our diet. We do. And the thing to remember is that most of the salt in our diet, we don't put it in ourselves. Yeah. Um, of the salt that we take, that the average person takes in, about 20% is what you shake from a salt cellar. Much of the rest of it is in the food that we eat and often in processed foods. And it is an important item of public health to watch out for the degree of unsuspected salt intake that people uh, may have. Mm. Um, and there, there's the, it, 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 it's very easy to have a very healthy diet uh, with low salt in it. Many years ago, one of our late patients here, uh, Valerie Toomey, uh, with the Celebrity Chefs of Ireland, um, produced um, a cookbook, which you can still get in, in the bookshops, called, uh, called um, Truly Tasty. 
And that's got wonderful recipes from all around the country. Obviously, the best ones from the Cork chefs. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, telling people how to eat well and avoid these kinds of things. Would I notice if my kidneys were playing up, Professor? Well, that's a very, you would notice if you had one of the more advanced stages of it. But one of the things which we now know, which is very important in checking for kidney disease, is in the very early stages of it, it's normally detectable by a check of your urine to see if there's a small amount of protein in the urine or it's detectable by your blood pressure being up. So people that have diabetes, people that are overweight, people that are older should always make sure that every so often they have a health check on those things. Now, the GPs are excellent at checking for this and we've got chronic disease management programs for heart disease and diabetes where these things would be done. But if you want to stop your kidney disease progressing, the earlier you find it, the better. So it's the same principle. Uh, look after yourself with a healthy diet, uh, eat well, um, keep uh, keep exercising, but also make sure that particularly if you're in a higher risk group, that you occasionally get your urine checked mm. and your blood pressure checked by in, your GP. In, in the early stages, it is practically symptomless. But uh, lastly, yes. and, and briefly, on, on transplants, I know that the law is changing or the rules are, are changing. You'd encourage anyone to, to be very make themselves so, available. Um, because we had very good news here last year. After a fall due to COVID, the number of kidney transplants done last year exceeded 160. Um, about a fifth of those were from living donors. But the, the Irish population are very generous donors. But as you and I are speaking here, there are 500 people uh, roughly waiting for a kidney transplant. And remember the most important statistic. You are more likely to be a member of a family where somebody gets a kidney transplant than when somebody donates a kidney transplant. It's a really important gift of life to others, and we very much uh, would wish that. In Ireland, we're still very pleased that there are just over 5,000 people um, with what we call end-stage kidney disease, but more than more than half of those have a transplant, and we would like it to be much more than that. All right. Listen, good to speak with you. Uh, Professor Liam Plant, um, Professor of Renal Medicine, Kidney Medicine at Cork University Hospital and the President of the Irish Nephrology Society. Liam, thank you. 0800 96 96 96. Yeah, th- that's their theme today. If your kidneys are on the blink, it can cause problems with your heart uh, and, and vice versa. As, as Pinky and Perky you say <laughs> they didn't but I just thought it sounded okay and you can't state it enough the importance of being a transplant donor I, I've said it a hundred times I've said it on the air I've said it off the air I've said it to everyone who knows me if it should be tomorrow that I am no longer here anything that works I mean anything from the top of my head to the tip of my toes anything that's still working that could be of use to anybody just take it. 0818969696. We've talked about health tourism before, um, in particular about Alicante and the hospital there and how people get on a plane in Cork and fly out to Alicante, to Denia, Denia there near, near, uh, near Benidorm and have their hips done and their knees done and their cataracts done and whatever else they might need done. We've talked about that. But what about going for fertility treatment to Barbados. Now that's getting exotic. But people do. And it's quite popular and can work out cheaper, other than you have to get there, cheaper 
than doing it here at home. And certainly there's a lot more available at that end of the world than there is here at home. The clinical, wouldn't you just know it? We're everywhere. The clinical director of the Barbados Fertility Clinic is a Cork woman called Anna Hosford. Morning, Anna. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. We have conquered the world, us Corkies, haven't we? (laughs) It's true. It is true. How did you end up as a clinical director of a fertility clinic in Barbados? Um, So I'm from Cork, but I went uh, to Dublin to the Adelaide to do my nursing and spent a few years in Dublin and then went over to San Francisco. I had friends over there, ended up four years in San Francisco. And really over there is where I end up specializing in IVF and fertility, helping couples to conceive. Um, And from then I came back to Ireland to help a clinic that was starting up in Dublin and spent four years there building that clinic. And then uh, with that clinic, we went over to Barbados, set up a clinic there. And then they went off home and I said I'd stay and um, myself and the doctor uh, own and run and have a fantastic clinic over there set up in 2002. And how long were you there for after going there for a little while? Well, I went for a year and I was there 20 years. It's very hard to leave Barbados, I wouldn't mind saying. Yeah, I mean, when you look out at the weather, I know you're back You're back in Kinsale now these days, working kind of from this end. Yeah, moved back in August. So, um, and it's great to be home. It's, I mean, your Cork is the capital of the world, right? It's great to be home. But it was great. We had we it was great. And you know, I think most importantly is we had so much success. We had a we have a really good clinic there with really good success rates and and a really good medical ethos. And yeah. I think that's really important. You know, IVF units are 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 a little bit unregulated around the world and um you really need to be sure you have a, a, a good medical ethos to run a good clinic. A lot of travel, like, you know, and do the best for people. A lot of people traveling for the services. Yeah, medical tourism in, in, in all over the world is a billion dollar industry, as you said, for hips and eyes and kidneys and dental. But the fertility tourism is a, is a huge aspect as well, because people travel for higher success. People travel for donor eggs. People travel for um, lower cost. And as well, uh, you know, a lot of our patients in Barbados, they come from the U.S. because the costs in the U.S. are so much and they actually get their IVF cycle and a two week holiday in Barbados for a lower cost than just an IVF cycle back in America. So there's definitely a stress aspect of fertility. Anybody who's listening, who's been through or is going through fertility knows how stressful it is. It's actually the second most stressful uh, diagnosis in the world. And because of that, when they're there on holidays, they actually get a chance to reconnect as a couple, put their treatment first, not be saying, oh, I have a dental appointment today and I've got to leave work early and try to fit it in amongst their schedule and their life and their family asking them what are they doing and have they got pregnant yet and so it's it's very stressful for them so being away and getting away from it all also has the added benefit to help increase success rates because they're in a better place I've never been to Barbados but I'm told that it's the place we it's the way we should all be living is how I'm told 
It's, it's really nice. I mean, look, it, everywhere has its advantages and disadvantages, right? I mean, yes, you look out the window today and it's raining, but there's so many good things about being in Ireland. And yes, you're in Barbados, you look out the window and there's turquoise seas and white sand. I mean, it is as beautiful as you see in a magazine. It truly is. But, you know, there's downsides to it as well, right? It is a third world country and yeah. the medical system doesn't work very well and the infrastructure doesn't work very well. So, you know, there's, there's look... There's nowhere's perfect, right? Mm. So as someone wanted, I know I've talked to people about their fertility issues on the opinion line over the years. If somebody wanted to look at a brochure for the clinic in Barbados and thought, well, I'd be interested in that, where do they start? Oh, they just, like everything these days, it's online. It's BarbadosIVF.com. Everything is online. Um, and then they just fill out the contact form and, you know, one of the nurse coordinators gets back to them. We have a really good system of uh, them dealing with a one-on-one nurse right away. They get allocated to a nurse. And um, that's part of what we offer, again, is individualised care, because, again, so many couples in Ireland or around the world, they feel they're just part of a, a bigger treadmill system where they get in, they see a different doctor every time or they see a different nurse who doesn't know their case. And, and it, as I said, it's stressful enough without going into a clinic and not knowing who you're seeing and do they know what you're going through. So that's really part of it. You know, at medical tourism in Ireland, most of the couples seeking treatment for lower costs and donor eggs and things like that will go to the Czech Republic and Spain. Mm. They're kind of the biggest markets. And, and the clinics in Ireland are very good, right? The clinics in Cork and the clinics in Dublin and Galway and uh, uh, Clane, they're all good clinics. Um, it's just sometimes they just don't suit the couple's needs. Yeah, yeah. In terms of getting there and having a treatment out there, is any of it covered by insurance or by things like the treatment abroad plan? No, fertility in general isn't covered by insurance, but what they can do in Ireland is they can deduct it against their taxes at the end of the year. So... Oh, and they get their medicines obviously on the on uh, through this uh, medical system here, but yeah, no, IVF isn't covered by insurance, um, so they do have to. But it's a medical expense that they can deduct against their taxes at the end of the year. Yeah, you also talk about the importance for women uh, not to leave it too long before at least trying to conceive and to watch yeah. that old biological <laughs> clock. Yeah, that's that's such an important thing. Look, in the feminist movement, and look, I am where I am today because of the amazing women who stood up for women's uh, equality and rights. It's really important that women know in their 20s and 30s, as they're building their career and as they get their degrees and they get their house and they wait for their perfect partner and so on and so forth, that men and women are not equal biologically because men produce sperm every day and women are born with their eggs and they get, they diminish as they get older, just like our eyes start failing in our 40s, so do our eggs. And I suppose that's really the the crime, I think, with feminism and with empowering women is they also have to be educated, like in schools and in universities, that they have to also protect their fertility. So egg freezing is an amazing opportunity for women under 35, ideally, really under 35 is ideal, to go to a fertility clinic 
do a egg freezing cycle, bank your eggs, and then get on and have your career. If I had a penny for every 44-year-old lawyer that contacted us to say, okay, now I have my career, I have my practice, I have found my man, I'm ready for uh, my baby, you're like, well, you're 44 and all your good eggs are pretty much diminished. Yeah. So it's a huge issue for women is education and empowering and putting eggs on ice for a rainy day. And is that something that they do in Barbados, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's done all over the world. When we were in Barbados, we used to have cocktail parties for career women just to talk about saying, are you a career woman in your 30s? Come and talk to us about egg freezing. You know, because they don't know. And it does seem like a lot. Oh, is it 5,000 euros to freeze your eggs? But it is the best 5,000 euros you'll ever spend if you're 42 or 43 or 45 and you can't conceive with your own eggs. Yeah. There's no price to pay on it. It's, it's like an insurance policy, right? You insure your house for something that might go wrong in the future and you might not need the frozen eggs. You know, interestingly, the studies show that, you know, about 50, 30 to 50 percent of women need their frozen eggs and the others don't, which is great. But if you're in that percentage, it's devastating, yeah. especially when there's education and there's options. Yeah. If anybody wants to look up the clinic again, it's Bar- Barbados for Fertility, that, that website. Yeah, BarbadosIVF.com. BarbadosIVF.com. When will you be heading back? Because I know you do pre- periodically. I, do, I just came back last week, so I'm going to have to hang on for another bit before I go back. In. There's a culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was ready to go back for the spring, but the weather is not, not uh, cooperating. Maybe soon. Anna, thank you. Anna Hosford, Clinical Director of the Barbados Fertility Clinic, barbadosivf.com. She's from Cork. She's back in Cork now after spending 20 years over there. But there's advice at the end. I wonder how people would view that advice. And she said, look, in a world where women are more empowered than they ever have been and achieve more than they ever did, sometimes there's a tendency for them to forget that, let's put it in my language, not Anna's, your eggs have a sell-by date. And you should think about freezing them. Thank you. 0818969696 on transplants and kidney transplants, any kind of transplant, and you know, being a, being aware of someone's desires, someone's wishes when it comes to transplants. The most important part is the conversation, says this call, with your next of kin. They won't be in any place to deal with this discussion when you die, but they might remember the conversation you had when you told them what you want to happen. It's going to be a cold night tonight. Nobody's going out. Have that conversation tonight. Good advice. Robert was a taxi driver. One day he got the call to bring a kidney to Mark Cagney's wife, Anne, in Dublin. My goodness, I remember Anne. The kidney can be only three hours old for a transplant. I get the call at 5 a.m. on a wet Friday. The kind of night it would take you an hour to get to Clanmire. But nerves... And mission accomplished. Hit the road. Hit the road, Robert did, like the hammers of hell. And got there. Yeah. Good man, Robert. And anyone who is the recipient would appreciate that side of the work too. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM.
Premier League Live is back this weekend on 96FM.ie. Trevor Welsh and the team in situ this Saturday from midday. Uh, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage this weekend of Bournemouth against Liverpool. That's half past 12. Spurs against Notts Forest at 3. And Crystal Palace v Manchester City at half past 5. Premier League Live online. Brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app. If you haven't got it yet, why haven't you got it? Or go to 96fm.ie. The app, of course, is also where you'll find all of our podcasts and we put up about 30 podcasts a week, including the full show podcast every afternoon. 0818-969696. Last chance for you to hear this. We're with our friends from Carrigline Furniture and Carpets this week with a €1,500 Euro voucher. You can spend it on anything inside the four walls. Uh, Respa mattresses and beds or quality flooring and carpets. You name it. If they have it, you can use this voucher towards it. We've been asking it all week and have some fun with it. Who's bouncing on the bed? Who is bouncing on our bouncy, bouncy bed? I never, ever thought that maybe talking about it with my brother or with anybody else at that point would be therapeutic. Well, talking about beds and bouncing, no? I never, ever thought that maybe talking about it with my brother or with anybody else at that point would be therapeutic. I don't need to give you a clue, do I? No, I don't. No, I don't. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six. 96. There's an email about emojis, which I must get to. I've had it to my hand for the last while, so I'll try and get to it before we finish and maybe come back to it tomorrow. But I want to go to Carrie Tuchel. Uh, Maura Lilly is a parent in the school down there, but they've had huge success or huge development of late with the schools in Carrie Tuchel. Long awaited. And there's a fundraiser coming up, and you want to give, us a, or to give it a mention. Carrie Tuchel Schools. Maura, morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is a success story at the end of a long, long battle. Oh, it is, PJ. Yeah, we um, we are so excited out here in Carrick Tool. We have a huge event tomorrow night to celebrate the journey we've um we've had over the years in um creating the new school campus. It's going to house um three of our schools: Skullclina, um Carrick Tool Community College, and Skullvernefa. Um, and I suppose. We've been working behind the scenes for months now. We formed a committee last October and it was kind of born out of a conversation with our three principals who really wanted to come bring those three school communities together um, in celebration because we're so close now to moving into our new location. Mm. And um, the idea was we'd pull the three school communities together and the wider community um, ahead of the move. So you've got Skullcleaner... Skullver and Nifa and the Caritool yeah. Community College all together on one campus. I know we've talked about this many, many times. It took a long time to happen. When when do the doors open? Um, so the doors will be opening from September this year. Um, the three schools, hopefully over the first term or so, um, will be fully accommodated. But we'll get the kids up there and... Um, get our, our move in. But it's very exciting now. We can see the buildings. We can see the windows gone in. We can see the roofs on the buildings. And um, I, yeah, and I suppose to support that, we've um, been working behind the scenes for this fundraising event that we're hosting tomorrow night. So Which it's is a um, lip sync lip- battle. Now, these are always yes. fun. Oh, PJ, the fun, honestly. Now, there's been a lot of hard work, but God, we're getting it back in the fun that we're having with this and the absolute support we're getting from everyone. If you were to come to a card tool today, now you'd feel the air giddiness um, from everybody that is just so excited for tomorrow night. We've um, 
really witnessed the power community over the last few months. I suppose the work, as I mentioned, from the committee and the support from sponsors and different organisations around our village and all our local people who actually um, are responsible for the sellout event that we have. Over 800 tickets sold out in a matter of three days. Yeah, yeah. But I have to mention our participants, the people who are getting up on stage tomorrow night. Like it's, they've just really shown such effort and commitment to um, their choreography and their practice sessions over the last few weeks and support for each other because a lot of us are you know, not used to this limelight or these performances. So it's a really big personal commitment for everybody involved. This is like karaoke, except you don't have to sing. I've I've, I've hosted one or two of these <laughs> nights over the years. They're the most incredible fun. They're great fun, yeah. Uh, for the non-singers amongst us, it's all about um, kind of just really getting up there and doing the dance moves and um, miming into the microphones That's and... I mean, yeah, it's great. And we've loads of acts. We've like some iconic, we've from Freddie Mercury to Spice Girls. We've even Barbie and Ken. We've Beyonce. We've the whole uh, star-studded event. Please tell me there will be photos. Oh, there will be photos and there will be video and there will be absolute bragging rights for years to come for whoever is the winner. Well, congratulations on putting it all together. It takes to win. Are there any tickets left or is it completely sold out? It's completely sold out. I think we've literally one or two coming in for people maybe who can't get a babysitter or something. But um, yeah, maybe one or two. So reach out to us if and we can try on? and get everybody. It's in the Silver Springs. Silver Springs. All right. That's a great venue for what would be a great event. At the end of a long journey, that school campus in Tool opening in September, which is fantastic to see. 0818-969696. I'll do that emoji email because it might start a conversation tomorrow. Also tomorrow... Did you know just how much money you can waste by putting the wrong things in the fridge? Have a think about it. There are certain things do not need to be in the fridge that we always keep in the fridge. Eggs being one of them. You do not need to keep eggs in the fridge. We all do. And every fridge you've ever bought comes with an egg slot. But you don't need to. But you can save money by keeping certain stuff out of the fridge and by moving stuff around in the fridge. That's tomorrow. Finula. Okay. Where are yes, you? Finula? How are you? How are you? Where are where um, are you? I'm in y'all. In y'all. Okay. Yeah. Who is bouncing I on the bed? I never thought that maybe talking about it, it with my would, brother or with anybody else at that point would be Prince Harry. Prince Despair. Despair Aegis. Prince Prince. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could have a lot to say about him. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> well, so you are to... into the draw, tomorrow's draw yeah. with Caravan Furniture and Carpets. That voucher might well be yours tomorrow at around five to twelve. Thanks very much. Fanula in White Barn in Yall. She qualifies. We'll have one more opportunity for you to qualify tomorrow. Sin says, PJ, a full trolley service for Irish Rail in twenty. Feckin' four. 2024. How hard is it getting a trolley onto a train? Aren't there all kinds of companies ready to help do this? That's astounding. I can remember, Kelly, or Sin, rather. Why did I say Kelly? I can remember, Sin, when you could get a steak dinner on the train. You could. It was a bloody fine steak dinner, too. You could get a steak dinner on the train. Now you can't get a coffee. And I remember the man who used to come down... Sir, and he'd bring down your trout, which was like being served in the Ritz. Sir, John Connolly, wasn't it? It was. 0818 96 96 96. Emojis. As you're well aware, today we live in a society where labels, brands, and logos rule the roost. 
more and more people communicate with emojis on their socials. This is from some call themselves a good friend of the show. The emojis can have negative effects if they're misconstrued. I will come back to this tomorrow. A thumbs up emoji sent to the wrong person, the younger generation usually, can be cutting and negative. And they think you say, I'm not really bothered. Other people say thumbs up is a mark of approval. God, if they were upset by thumbs up that I give them through the glass here, we'd be in an awful bad state of affairs. Then you have people posting pictures on their social with love hearts and kisses or just putting an X on the comments. Imagine the trouble that can cause with a jealous boy or girlfriend. There's so much on this, I'll come back to it tomorrow. And remember, I'll tell you how much money you can save by not keeping eggs in the fridge. And because it's Friday, we'll have all such fun like that. Program uh, edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. And that's it. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.